Good morning. This is Pastor Mike Letterman. Welcome to our lesson this morning, sponsored through Christ-Lives.org. You can visit us on the web at http colon forward slash forward slash www.christ-lives.org. Our lesson this morning is entitled, Dead Faith Doesn't Work. It's the second in our continuation of a three-part series on the book of James. Just to recap from last week, this book is one of the epistles that's found in the New Testament. A brief refresher. The letter was written by James, the brother of Jesus, probably around A.D. 40 to A.D. 45. It was written to Jewish Christians living outside of Palestine. Now, part of the thread that runs throughout James is the underlying fact that Christians must live by faith. They should be doers and not just hearers of God's word. Remember that James' readers were suffering in persecution and they were living in poverty. They were in social and spiritual conflict. Many of the believers had resorted to living in a worldly manner. In the book of James, he corrects them and challenges them to seek God's wisdom to work out these problems. In this same fashion, many of these Christians that claim faith do not demonstrate it to each other or to a lost and dying world. James challenges the followers to guard their tongue and to use wisdom in everything they do. Let's read from the Word of God, starting with James chapter 3, verse 1. Taming the Tongue Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So there's two kinds of wisdom. In the early church, the role of the teacher was a very important one. Church members had a great respect for their teachers. James seems to indicate that many church members wanted to be teachers. Now, I wasn't there, but some of them may have wanted it for the wrong reason. They might have wanted other people to think well of them, and they wanted to enjoy the power of the job. Many of them very likely did not qualify for the task. They did not have the natural skills, and God had not called them to do it. It's an important thing when you decide to, to serve in the ministry. God has to support it. God has to be behind it. And if he's not, then you will fail miserably. Teachers have to learn to take care to teach the truth of God and not their own ideas. You see, they're responsible for the way in which the church grows. They have power that they could so easily use wrongly. They must show by their lives the truth that they teach. It would be easy and wrong to speak great words, but to fail to do good things. There should not be a large number of teachers. They should be able to teach. They must know that God has called them to do this work. Only those who God calls should become teachers in the church. 
God expects a higher standard of those of us who teach and preach. And I believe he will be a more strict judge when he judges us than he will with other people. You see, we have the task of teaching to other Christians as to how they should live. So they will receive greater judgment if they fail to do what they've been taught. This verse should not stop those whom God does call to teach. The writer James was a teacher. And whether we like it or not, even man holds teacher and preachers to a higher standard. I've been in several churches where people continuously watch the church leaders, the preachers, the deacons, the elders if you have them, etc., just to see where they will fail next. But, but that's wrong. But people do it anyway. We put our pastor up on a pedestal and say, Let's watch Mike and see where he will sin next. And then, see, I told you so. He's just like everybody else. He's a hypocrite. Well, I hate to burst your bubble here, but your church leaders, your pastor, your deacons, and your elders are just men. Yes, we do go to Bible college and seminary. We do learn the Word of God. But there's one thing that we cannot undo. We are born under the same generational curse of Adam. We cannot change that. It was for this reason that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us so his blood would cover the generational curse of Adam and our sins. I want you to lean into this next statement. It's very important. If you're putting your pastor on a pedestal, you are worshiping the man, not your God. If you're watching and waiting for him to sin, just stick around. It will happen. But instead of watching for someone else to sin, perhaps you should turn that super sharp eye inward. I guarantee you that you will find what you seek and will be much more closer to home. James warns that this is a responsible task to teach in the church. No one should take on this work unless he feels led to do so. In verse 2 he says, we've all said the wrong things. If we were to examine what we say, we'd see that. We all slip up or make mistakes and say bad things. Often we don't mean to sin this way. It's just as if bad words just come out of our mouths. There's no man in this world who does not sin in something. No man, no woman who does not sin in something. And there is no sin in which it's easier to fall than the sin of the tongue. In this letter, the writer uses the word tongue to mean the words that we say. If someone could have control over all that he or she says, that would be a perfect person. You see, the tongue is the hardest of all parts of the body to control. It comes out of the heart, which includes the mind, that the mouth speaks. Matthew 12:34 bears this out. It is from inside of us that bad actions and evil words come. If anyone does not sin in what he says, then he or she would not sin in other ways either. If a person could control the tongue, it would follow that he or she has the power over the whole of his or her life. That one would be a perfect person. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there has never been a person like that. Now, there's three pictures I want to show you the power of the tongue. First, there's the horse in this verse. Then there's the ship in verse 4. 
In verses 5 and 6, there's fire. These all teach us as great danger in the wrong use of words. The rider holds the horse by the bit and the bridle so he can control it. For those of you that weren't raised around horses, the bit is a piece of metal that the man puts into the horse's mouth. The bridle joins to the ends of the bit and fits over the head of the horse. Then by using the bridle and the bit, the rider can control the mouth of the horse. That gives the rider power to control the horse. So the rider can guide the horse in the direction that he or she wants to go. What's true about horses is also true about men. The man who can control what he says can control his whole being. If the tongue is not under control, the whole of what life will go in the wrong way. The purpose of this example is to show that a small part can have control over a large body. The bit is very small, but by it the rider directs the large horse. The tongue is a small part, but what it says affects the whole person and other people. This is true for a church as well as for a single person. The words of a teacher can affect the whole church for good or bad. You see, in those days when people went out on a journey, they went on horses or in ships. If you look at ships, you can, we can see how a small object can control a very large one. The small rudder sets the direction in which the large ship sails. The rudder was a piece of wood or an oar under the back of the ship. As the sailor turned the rudder, so the whole ship turned. Now the ship may be large and driven by strong winds, yet a very small rudder can guide it. Here's a contrast. The ship is large, the force of the winds is strong, but the rudder is so small. This small object can direct the way that the whole ship will go, even in a storm. The rider pulls the bit to change the direction of the horse. So the sailor turns the small rudder and changes the direction of the large ship. The tongue is a very small part of the body, just as the rudder is a small part of the ship. If we could control what we say, we could guide the direction of the whole of our life. Remember, the tongue is small, yet it affects the whole body and the life of a person. Yeah, the tongue is small, but it has such great power. As the bit and the rudder have an effect, so the small tongue can do great things. It talks big, and it makes itself seem to be better than it is. You see, words can cause acts that have enormous results for both good or bad. Words can move a crowd to do bad things or great things. Words can change the future of nations. James is not saying that we shouldn't talk. He's arguing for control of the tongue and the wise use of words. The mind and the heart control what we say. With the help of the Spirit of Christ, we have that control. Then we can use our tongue to bless people. Let's look at chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small part, spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. 
All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no man, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So starting with verse 5, it says, in, what he's saying is like in the dry season, the grass with the low-hanging um, branches and, and low-growing bushes and other plants are like dry straw. A small flame could set it on fire. The flames of that fire could spread in a wave that no one could stop. It would soon be out of control. It takes just a tiny flame to set on fire a great mass of material. A little flame can destroy a great forest. What we say can be as dangerous as that fire. It can cause real problems for those to whom we speak. And it can cause real problems for those about whom we speak. The bad things that we say can spread like fire in the forest. The tongue can hurt people and cause them much trouble. Bad words, the things that we say about each other, can spoil a person's good character. They can, in effect, destroy that person, and they can set people against each other. Think about that. What you say about another individual may seem appropriate at the time in your heart, but is it really appropriate? Do you know that person? Have you walked in that person's footsteps? Do you know what that person's going through? See, we're all shaped by things and experiences that happen to us. How can you speak ill of another person if you have not walked in their shoes? And even if you have, do you have the right to judge them? I don't think so. You see, the danger of the tongue is that it's like a fire in the dry straw. The careless word can, word can cause a lot of damage. Once the word has left the mouth, there's no way to take it back. Many sins that people do involve in what they say. The tongue is like a fire. And it's also like a world of evil. It, it's like a world of bad things set among the parts of the body. The word world here that he used means a world without God, and so it is evil. The tongue that speaks bad things is like a world that is at war with God. It fights with God, and it does not obey his laws. We use the tongue to express all kinds of evil. Words hurt and damage the whole body. You see, the body here is not just physical, but it's the whole of the person. So the words that come forth from our hearts and minds spoil the entire character. They can have an effect on the whole of life from beginning to end. See, each life is like a wheel that rolls on from birth to death. It goes through many phases and changes on its way to complete its time here on earth. 
The evil effect of the tongue spreads all around this wheel of life. It affects all those who come into contact with it. The source of the evil tongue is the fire of hell, and the devil uses the tongue as a fire that spreads evil within mankind. Now, James uses the word hell within this text and refers really from the Hebrew word Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. I hope that my Hebrew is up to, up to par today. Gehenna was the name of the valley to the south of Jerusalem. It was there that they burned the rubbish from the city. The fires there seemed to always be burning. You see, to the Jews, this was, this was like the punishment for sins that would go on for all time. So the name of that eternal place of sin and death became hell. Here's the source from which the tongue gets its evil power. This is the source from which the tongue gets its evil power. See, human beings can control all kinds of animals, birds, snakes, fishes. See, when God made the earth, he gave Adam this authority. We do not now see human beings in control of all other life on earth, but we humans have learned to control and make use of many of them. It does not say that we can control every other single living thing. In verse 8, it talks about human beings can still control some of the animals, but because of sin, they've lost control of themselves. They can make animals tame, but they cannot rule their own tongues. No man, by his or her own efforts, is able to make the tongue tame. The tongue's like an animal in a cage. It will not rest and always tries to get free. We can keep an animal like this so it cannot escape. But it's not always possible with the tongue. It's never at rest long enough for us to control it. It's ready at all times to break out into evil. And it's not that it never speaks good, but it very often speaks evil. It's like a snake full of poison that can kill. Evil words are worse than the bite of animals and the poison of snakes. You see, in verse 9, he refers to the, with the aspect that with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. Both these words, Lord and Father, refer to God. So we're, we're praising God with our tongue. See, Lord's a special name that God gave for himself in the Old Testament. We usually write it in capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He's the great and powerful God. We call him Lord because we respect him and we belong to him. See, Christians know him as the Father because his love is so great that he's given them a new birth. Several times in the New Testament, Christians are called children of God. Like them, we are now his children by trusting in Jesus. We call him Father because we know his love and, and we love him for it. Lean into this. The highest use of human speech is for the praise of God the Lord and Father. Amen. We use the same tongue when we curse men. 
We speak our praise to God and turn right around to say bad things about people. But see, God made men to be like himself, and that image also remains in the people. It's what helps us to know what we ought to do. It helps us to hear God. We ought not to curse people whom God made to be like him. As God made human beings in his own image, to curse a person is in effect to curse God. So to use the same tongue to bless God and to curse people is wrong. You see, we say what's in our hearts and our minds. We say what's in our hearts and our minds. I need to repeat that again. Mature Christians will control what they think and say. The Holy Spirit gives us power so that we can control our tongues. We should praise God and also speak well of people. For brothers and sisters, so often we fail to make use of the control that God, that God has given us. It's wrong to bless and curse with the same tongue. Christians shouldn't mix good words with evil talk. To curse men in that way makes blessings just empty words. We praise God. We think and speak evil about people at the same time. It's sad, isn't it? You see, the land where James lived didn't have very much rain. A town or village may have to depend on springs or wells for their water. Both sweet and bitter water cannot come out of the same hole. You can only have one type of water, that sweet water, or good to drink, or bitter water that's like poison and not able to drink. Sweet water is that which is fresh and good. Bitter and salt water is not good to drink. But the tongue can produce both bad and good words from the same source. Two kinds of speech come from the same tongue. This is against nature, where good comes from good and bad comes from bad. In verse 12, he talks about figs, olives, and grapes, which were the three most common fruits that the farmers grew. The fig tree grew figs. The olive tree grew olives. The grapevines grew grapes. You see, each tree could only have its own fruit and couldn't have any other kind of fruit. It's a fact of nature that like produces like. As in the root so the tree will produce the fruit. A plant has the fruit that comes from its own nature. Similarly, a fountain has only one type of water, sweet water or bitter water. It can't have both. Out of the mouth of a good person, there should come only good words. Out of the mouth of a wicked person, we would expect bad words. Figs, olives, and grapes are examples of how the tongue should either be good or bad. It's against nature when we both speak about good and bad words. James reminds us that we ought to praise and not to curse. Let's look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Here the writer says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But see, wisdom comes from heaven. Is first of all pure. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, then considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You see, beginning in verse 13 in this epistle, James asks who among them has wisdom and knowledge. Maybe he has in mind that the teachers or those that want to be teachers are asking for this type of wisdom. Those who know more may think that they're better than other people. And this can be a problem with Christians. Sometimes we get in a place where many Christians fail because they become puffed up or proud because of the things that they have learned. And they can speak above another individual that may be a new Christian and may not have the knowledge that they have. But see, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. They're not the same. A person can know a lot but have very little wisdom. My dad used to call it common sense. The Christians need to have both. People do not always show wisdom so much in what they think or say. They show it more in what they do. It's not what they say. It's how they say it and how they live. See, true wisdom does good works. You see, we know a wise person by his good life. A wise person will be meek. Meek is a word that's hard to translate. The meek person is strong, yet humble and gentle. The wise person does not desire honor or fame. When other people do wrong to him, he doesn't do wrong to them. The Spirit of God gives us the strength to be gentle and humble. The faith in the life that's wise and meek is one that's under the control of God. The Lord Jesus is for us the greatest example of this. He was meek and humble in heart because he had the real strength of character. Those who honor for themselves are not wise or gentle. They're jealous of those who seem to do better than they do. They work hard for their own advantage. Their attitudes are poor, and they will cause bad relationships in the church. They may be proud that they have the truth, but by being proud, they're also denying the truth. Suppose a speaker has a wrong attitude. The true words that he speaks may give a false message. Even the truth from the lips of those who are proud can become error. To speak in a proud manner is to speak against the truth. The person who's proud of his wisdom lies against the truth. James says that they must not be proud. Those who are wise and know God will be humble and gentle. Now, verse 15 talks about where people are proud and they have selfish ambition. There's not true wisdom there. There's a false wisdom that has nothing to do with God. It doesn't come from above. That's from God. To have wisdom from above is to have the wisdom that God gives. The false wisdom is from human nature, and that's of the earth. It's unlike that which comes from above. 
It has its source not from God, but from the devil. It works to the standards of this world and not as God directs. So human wisdom is proud and jealous. It's the cause of disagreement and not peace. Where this wisdom is, there will be confusion. The ambition of man tends to destroy life with God. The works of this wisdom are bad and of no worth. No real benefit for the church can come from them. They do nothing to help Christians and build the church. These works just destroy the unity that ought to be with us. Verse 17 talks about the true wisdom that comes from above. The wisdom that comes from God is so different. It's a gift of God. It's not what a person can achieve. It's not of this world. James has described what this wisdom is not. Now he shows what it is. He uses seven words in the Greek language to show what it's like. Pure. It's, a, it's clean and has no selfish ambition. It's holy, as God himself is holy. It's peacemaking. It brings people closer together and nearer to God. It does not fight, but brings peace. It's gentle. It's fair and kind. It knows the weakness of human beings and helps them. It does not insist on its own rights. It's always ready to help and not to blame. You see, it's open to reason. It's easy to approach it. It will listen to what other people say. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It helps those who are suffering. It has sympathy for all those who are sad. It has the pity and the love to do good for them and for all people. It's fair to all. It shows respect for all people. It doesn't make distinctions. It does not do things that fall from prejudice. It is sure about what is true. It has good standards, and they do not change. It's real and sincere. It's honest. It doesn't pretend or act apart. It's sincere in all that it does and with all people. It does not work for its own benefit. You see, in verse 18, he talks about this verse as a well-known saying that James would have used. He's teaching here that true wisdom is a wisdom of peace. Those who have this wisdom do good works. Those good works result in blessings and in peace. See, they're like seeds that grow up into a plant. The fruit of the plant is righteousness, and the soil in which it grows is peace. It's those who make peace that sow and look after the plant of righteousness. They do not only love peace and live in peace, they also try to create peace. Peace cannot grow where people are jealous and work only for their own good. Nothing good can grow where people fight one another. There has to be unity, and they have to work together for the same things. Peace means a right relationship with other people and with God. If this doesn't exist, there can be no true righteousness. I'd like you to think about what we've talked about today. You know, it's very easy to drop into the scenario where we, we use our tongue for evil rather than for good. It's easy in an opportune moment to say something that's not pleasing to God. It's easy to talk about somebody because they're different. It's easy because it makes you 
feel good about yourself. My brother and sister, if that's what it takes for you to feel good about yourself, is and it's to talk about someone else, put someone down to make you feel good. And I really think that you may want to drop down on your knees and have a little talk with God, and not talk to Him about that because there's something wrong when you have to break other people down to make yourself feel good. So as we have this little time of self-evaluation here at the end of this lesson. I want you to think about these things. If you're guilty of any of these, God's standing right beside you. He's ready to accept your prayer. He's, he, he knows what, what issues that you carry, and he knows the things that are on your heart, and he knows what's coming out of your mouth before you say it. So I'd ask you to think about that. If there are any of you that would like to rededicate your life to Christ today because you, or to have a prayer because you feel like you're guilty of leaving your tongue unbridled, then I'd ask you to come today over the phone, I mean, over the, the radio, over the phone, or whatever, wherever you may be, whatever country you may be in. Those of you that have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd also like to ask you to come. If there are those of you that are victims of someone else's words, and I ask you to do one of the greatest gifts of all, that's to pray for their forgiveness, and you forgive them as well. It's hard. It's hard. But if we don't forgive others for the things they say and do, then God won't forgive us. Would you, if you're in a position where you can, would you bow your head with me today? I want to say this, say this short prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together. Father, I thank you for each person in the sound of my voice, whether they be in this country or in any of 136 countries that we are streaming to today. Father, be with these people, oh God. I ask you to help them, Lord. <clears throat> Whatever their need is, minister to them. Father, if there be any here that want to rededicate their life to Christ, Father, I ask that you move on their life, Lord, and that you heed their prayer. If there are any here that would like to give their life to you and accept your son as, as their Lord and Savior, then I ask you, Father, to, to help move upon their heart as well. Father, God bless them. And thank you for your son, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time and attention today. I went about five minutes over. Um, if you made a decision today, I would really like to know about it. Or if there's anything I can do for you, or if you'd like for me to pray for you, please send me an email to ministry, M-I-N-I-S-T-R-Y, at christ-lives.org. Ministry at christ-lives.org. I consider it a personal honor and a privilege to pray for you. May God bless you and keep you. Amen. That concludes our lesson for today. God bless.